Hear now the word of my the word of the Lord. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid from hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Most weeks when I get up to preach, I have you in mind. Maybe if not you specifically, like y'all, right? All of you all in mind. Um, uh, the best preaching advice I ever got uh, was from a mentor of mine that said, always remember to scratch them where they itch. And, um, and, and I guess what he was meant by that was, um, was you don't get up on Sunday morning to talk about the things that you feel like talking about. Um, you get up on Sunday morning um, to, to meet people, to meet their needs what they're thinking about, what they're wrestling with, what, what you know. And, and so I try every week as best I can to have you all in mind. But very occasionally, I have to preach a sermon for myself. Very occasionally, I have to preach about the thing that I'm worried about and the thing that I'm thinking about um, because uh, I have no one to preach to me on Sunday morning. And so sometimes I just have to give the sermon that I need to hear. And this is one of those Sundays. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to turn my gaze inward a little bit. I'm going to scratch myself where I itch this morning. See, Monday morning, I got up at 6 a.m. 
And that's not my usual habit. I don't like to get up at 6 a.m. But I got up at 6 a.m. because uh, there was a gathering of United Methodist um, uh, pastors in Maryville, Tennessee. And, uh, and I wanted to go be a part of it. And so um, uh, this gathering was called, uh, called Forward United. And um, it was a gathering of, uh, of, of, of Methodist pastors, conservatives, progressives, moderates like me, all sort of in one room trying to figure out if we could stay united, if we could stay uh, uh, as one church. Because as some of you all know, uh, there's been this slow motion train wreck that we've been watching for about a decade now. And, uh, and, and, and it looks like um, our church may be splitting. And in that room, there was a spirit of uncertainty. We were all there because we were at least open, if not committed, to staying United Methodist. But, but as I looked around the room, um, I, I, I could feel this sort of question. What is going to happen? And as I left that event on Monday, um, you know, there were speeches, there were panels, there were um, table discussions. And as I left, I sort of wondered what we actually accomplished. And I have more questions than answers. And top among them was, what is going to happen? Now, again, I'm scratching my own itch. Maybe this isn't something that, that, that you're worried about in your daily life. Um, maybe this is the sort of things that, that pastors worry about while, while the rest of the world is working for a living. But I have heard some of you ask at one time or another, what is going to happen? And so even if this isn't forefront on your mind, maybe it's in the back of your mind. What is going to happen? I believe that's the question that the church is asking and by the church, I mean, you know, yes, the United Methodist Church, because we have our own special set of issues that we're wrestling with right now, issues of, of human sexuality. But I also mean the church at large because the same forces that are, are pulling us apart are the same forces that are really, when you get down to it, pulling our country apart. These questions of who's right and who's wrong and, and, and these, the, these, sort of, these sort of tribal forces where, we're, where, where, where we've decided as a people that, that we can't you know, um, uh, uh, govern together, we can't live together, we can't work together, and, and our churches is causing us to ask if we can even worship together anymore. And the United Methodist Church has always had a very special place in the life of our nation because it's been one of those uh, last places where, where, where different people sort of come together. Right? Whenever you look at like the makeup of like churches, you, you know, you look at uh, like, like the Southern Baptist Church and, and it's like 90% conservative. Or if you look at like the Episcopalian Church, it's like 90% liberal. 
But the United Methodist Church has always been one of those churches with like always 60-40, if not 50-50. And I've always thought that that was a strength of ours, that we're able to, to leave that ugliness outside and come together and, and, and share one table and, and, and be dedicated to one common mission. But that is fraying at the seams right now as we speak. And as a denomination, we're asking, what is going to happen? COVID has caused us to ask this question. Many of our churches uh, uh, didn't make it through COVID. Many churches had to close their doors. Many are struggling to come back. The attendance and giving is not where it was. We can be thankful that we are blessed that we have come back. Attendance is a little better. But at the same time, at the back of our heads, there's this worry that maybe the other shoe's about to drop. That we're one nasty variant away from being right back where we were. Can we really celebrate? Can we really be happy without knowing what's going to happen? And then, of course, there's the whole issue of decline. If, even if we didn't have these special things to deal with, there, there, there's the fact that the church in, in, in North America, liberal, conservative, Baptist, Methodist, whatever, they're all declining becoming older and smaller. Maybe it's just me. I wonder if you worry about these things too. I wonder if you look at the future of the church and it looks hazy and uncertain. And I wonder if you ask yourself, what is going to happen? See, our passage opens with the disciples looking inward. The disciples are are, are asking the same sorts of questions. What is going to happen? See, they're they're, they're with Jesus and they're sharing a meal and, and Jesus is trying to tell them about the task at hand. Jesus is trying to tell them about like their mission in the present and the immediate future. Right. Um, uh, You need to stay here and wait for the spirit. And when the spirit comes, you need to be ready because you're going to fan out into the world. Right. But they can't concentrate on what Jesus is trying to tell them because they're worried about the future. They're plagued with this question. What is going to happen? Because, see, they're happy that Christ is risen. They're happy that Jesus is back in their midst. But if they're honest, they have the same problems today that they had before the resurrection. See, there's this whole nasty business about roaming oppression. There's this whole nasty business about, you know, we were kind of promised Messiah means a king in Israel. And and, and none of that has happened yet. And so they're looking at Jesus and they're asking, all right, is this the time? 
Are we finally going to get serious about this Messiah business? Are we going to finally get serious about kicking the Romans out of town? Are we going to finally sharpen our swords and, and, and get in there and get our hands dirty? Is this the time? And Jesus is noncommittal. <laughs> he says, it's really not up for you to know. It's not up for you to know the hour or the dates. You don't need to concern yourself with it. So the disciples are staring at him, I think, blankly. Just tell us what is going to happen. And then something amazing happens. Jesus begins to float, right? He's carried up. I don't know what that means. I don't know whether it's like angels, or, but, but he's carried up, right? He begins to, to, to float in their midst and they begin to look up and they begin to see his feet grow smaller and smaller and smaller and then he disappears behind a cloud. That's pretty amazing, right? I was looking for like a piece of artwork that would capture that. I was doing the whole Google image search and uh, nothing really captured like the amazement of that moment. A lot of the old ones, like the old art, were almost kind of comical, right? Because they showed like this little cloud at the top of the picture and Jesus' feet sticking out. And then, uh, and then the disciples all striking their holy pose, <laughs> right? Like, like, can you imagine someone actually flying in your presence and then you saying, I guess I better strike a holy pose, Right? Like, that wouldn't be my reaction. Whenever I see that, by the way, I want to draw a little cigarette right here. Right? Because that's, that's what I think it's like. Oh, wow, Jesus is flying. Big deal. Right? I have to think that they're amazed. I have to think that, that, that they look more like this. Right? Wow, I can't believe how incredible this is. Someone is lying. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Especially in our day and age, right? Where we, we understand that we don't live in a three-tiered universe and that heaven isn't just behind the clouds. And so, so we have questions about how all of this works. You know, Carl Sagan famously said that if Jesus ascended at the speed of light, he would just now be exiting the Milky Way galaxy. We have questions sort of as modern thinkers about how all of this works. And that's okay, and I'm not sure I can answer them for you, right? But I think it misses the point. I think it's not how it happened, whether it's a visionary experience or, 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 or a literal experience, or, 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 or I don't think that's what's important. I think it's important the new perspective that it gives us. Namely, we have the disciples who are looking inward, worrying about their problems, and now they're looking upward. Because you see, Jesus is exalted over all of it. Jesus is exalted over everything. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, there is nothing that we encounter in this life that Jesus is not over. And for me, it's the meaning of that that's important. 
that we're here and he's there. And if we can keep that perspective, then we can figure out how to go forward as a people and as a church. The Apostle Paul put it like this in the first chapter of Ephesians. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Do you hear that, church? He's over everything the present, the future, everything that goes on, on on this pale little blue dot on which we live. He is above it all. And if we can keep that perspective, we can trust him with the big stuff, and we can worry about the mission at hand. It's not for us to know. He is above it all. See, the disciples have been looking inward, and now they're looking upward. And then these two angels show up and direct their gaze outward. They say, why are you standing here staring at this guy? He's going to come back the same way you saw him leave. Don't worry about that. There's too much to do. There's too much to do. See, the disciples have been called to to, to be Jesus' witnesses in in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. There is too much for them to do. They've been promised that they're going to be clothed with power from on high. That the Holy Spirit is going to come dwell in them and, and, and fill them and empower them to do the work that God has called them to do. And we as a church live in that promise. There is too much to do to stand around navel-gazing, to stand around worrying about what's going to happen. There's too much to do. Jesus called the disciples to be his witnesses. You know what the Greek word is for witness? It's martyr. It's martyr. Jesus called them to be his martyrs. Now, in the first century, martyr had all the connotation that it has today. The disciples were raised on the stories of, 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 of the Jewish martyrs that stood up uh, to, to the Greeks and, and died for their faith. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he called him to be his martyrs. And most of them were. Most of them uh, bore witness to Jesus in life and glorified him in their death. 
Jesus doesn't promise them everything's going to work out for them hunky-dory in the end of their life. Jesus doesn't promise no suffering, no bumpy days ahead. But they can live fully in the present because they know that Jesus is exalted over it all. That Jesus is in charge of it all. As the old Facebook post says, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. It's true. Jesus is exalted over it all. See, like the disciples, we have too much to do to stand around worrying and navel-gazing. We have too much to do. Like the disciples, we are called to Jerusalem and Judea. Right? For the disciples, Jerusalem and Judea was their neighborhood, where they were raised, where they grew up, the people they knew, the people they saw at the grocery store. We have people that God has put in our lives that need to know the good news. And there's too much to do to stand around waiting. We have too much to do for our children. I hope you come to our meeting tomorrow night when we're going to talk about the future of our children's ministry. Whether you're a member or not, if you have an idea, I hope you come tomorrow. We have too much to do to, 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 to stand around staring at each other. We've got vacation Bible school. We've got, um, uh, uh, we've got kids to send to camp. There's too much to do. Not just for our children, for, uh, for our, uh, our, 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 our families, our, 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 our working age, and our retired age. There's too much to do, too many people we know in our lives, in our midst, who need to hear the good news. But it's not just that, we're called to Samaria. I think I've hit this point a couple of times with you all. The Samaritans were the people they didn't like. Right? That's the neighborhood that was nearby that they, they, they didn't want to go into. Whether it was because they were scared and they didn't feel comfortable there, or they genuinely had hard feelings against those people, right? You and I have neighborhoods that we're called into in our backyard that we're nervous about going into. With Care Portal, we've started to dip our toes into to some of that water. Some of you that have done deliveries with me know that we've gone to some places that, that maybe we didn't know existed in our own backyard and met some people. But our work is just getting started. There's too much to do to stand around. We're called to the ends of the earth. For the disciples, that was as far away as they could imagine. Spain, maybe. The southern tip of Greece. England, up there somewhere. The world's only gotten bigger since then. We're called to go to Nicaragua. We're called to send shoeboxes to the ends of the earth. I don't know if you all know this. Some people don't know this. You tithe, you give your 10%. Our church tithes, it also gives its 10%. 10% of everything that, that, that we collect goes to uh, the mission of the church. Just by showing up and, 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 and giving your dollar, you're doing missions in places like Uganda and the Czech Republic. There's too much to do. 
We are called to make disciples here, there, and everywhere. We can't afford to be standing around waiting for the next variant. We can't afford to be standing around uh, uh, waiting for the next sugar drop, waiting for uh, 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 the mess to sort itself out. There's too much to do. So as I sat there in that Forward United meeting, I started to grow kind of frustrated. There's kind of this endless parade of speakers and panels and, um, and, and table conversation, and I'm not really sure that we were accomplishing much. But then they had one panel get up, and it was this panel of pastors and lay people, I think half and half. And it was men and women, half and half. But the most important thing is that on this panel, there were two progressives, two conservatives, and two moderates. And they asked each of them why they were committed to remaining in the Methodist church. And their answers were wildly different, right? Um, one of the progressives, um, uh, 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 a black pastor, said that uh, she was inspired by the fact that uh, John Wesley was an abolitionist and, and that, 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 uh, that search for justice continues today. Another progressive who was a, um, a, a choir director um, who, who, was, who was also gay spoke movingly about how um, even, uh, even people in his church who, who disagreed with him on about everything loved him and accepted him and made him feel included. And that's why he wanted to remain in the church. The conservatives on the panel talked uh, movingly about missions. One talked about his experience in Uganda and, and how that was only possible because of the connectional nature of the church, how we, how we, how we support each other. One, talked about, uh, one conservative talked about the spirit of God moving in her own church and all the exciting things that, that were happening that, 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 that she was excited to be a part of. The moderates talked about the Wesleyan theology of grace and all that it had mean, meant to them and the people that had raised them in this church. They all had their different reasons for staying. But it was the next question that got me. They asked, what's your reason for hope? And they all said the same dang thing. I mean, different words, they dressed it up different. But they all gave the same reason for hope. I'm excited about what Jesus is doing, and I want to be a part of it. And as I drove home, I had more questions than answers. I can't tell you what's going to happen. And anyone that says they can tell you what's going to happen doesn't know. But I had a flicker of hope, at least. That maybe Jesus really is greater and higher than the things which separate us. And that maybe if we can agree on him, we can get through whatever comes together.
So anyway, that's the sermon I needed to hear. That was for me. The next one will be for you. Thank you for allowing me to look inward for a minute. Now, let us direct our gaze upward so that we can look together outward and make disciples for the transformation of the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.